welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I just really believe that this year was set for a reason to show us that that's not what joy is. Joy is not serenity. Joy is not this moment where it's all calm and I just feel this goosebumps in my heart. That's not what joy is. Joy is only found in the person of Jesus. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of everything, joy is only found in the midst of Jesus. Here's how I know, because that's what my Bible teaches. We celebrate Christmas, this good news that God broke through where there was darkness and now he brings light into the darkness where there's no hope and now there's hope because of who he is. And this is what the angels declared in Luke chapter two, verse eight. When the region, they came to the region of the shepherds where they were out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And it says this in verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. Okay, but the angel said something to them. Fear not. Somebody say fear not. And here's why, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now I wanna stop there for a minute because the declaration that the angel was bringing to the shepherds was not for them alone, was not just for the people in the region, but they literally said for all people, for all of humanity, what we're about to tell you is going to bring great joy. And then he goes on and the angel tells us this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we've got this Savior who is Christ the Lord. And because of him, you're going to have great joy. Not because of your circumstances. Not because of the chaos that may surround your life. Not because of the turmoil you may be in. But because of a Savior who is Jesus. Now I want you to hear me say this because it's important. We look for joyful things in all things. We we want the feel good, tickle my ears, make me feel joyful message. We want the inspiration video. We want the TED talk that makes me feel good, right? And I'm just gonna tell you right now, we don't need TED talks and we don't need inspirational videos. We need more Jesus. Super simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. Let me tell you, Something that struck my heart that I was reading this week that just absolutely made me go, man, Lord, that's such a joy about him with you. Um, David had this supernatural joy. King David had this supernatural joy about him. Armies surrounding him, running through the wilderness, being chased on every side, uh, fighting Goliath, the giants, all these things. And yet David had this thing where he could just soak in the presence of the Lord and find joy in the Lord. Here's what David says in Psalm 17. I'm paraphrase it. He says, Other men have their portion in this world. Other men have their portion in this world. Here's what he said. There are men who chase after the pleasure of this world. They've got the riches. They've got everything. Other men have their portion in this world. But look what he says. As for me, I'll be satisfied when I behold your face and I awaken in your likeness. This is what he wanted. Read that again. Other men have their portion in this world. They chase for their happiness and they chase for their joy all these things of of this world to fill them up, to find their portion. Oh, I found it. I've got this. It's new. I've got this. I did this. I went here. I did this. And he says, all of this is their portion in this world. And this was David's heart. As for me, I'll be satisfied when I behold your face and I awaken in your likeness. Ah, this is what the joy of scripture is. 
This is what true joy of the heart is. It's this liberation. It's this freedom from things and beauty and success being delivered from the sensualities of this world, being delivered from the things that so easily entangle our heart and get our eyes fixed off of Jesus. This is what the joy of Scripture is. It's being freed from all of those things and locking eyes with Jesus. This world's got a definition of what joy is and it would be based on what flows to you, what comes my way, the good things that come my way, the good things that I get, the good things that I can assess, the good things that I can fill my life with, that this is what the world's joy is based on, what flows to you. But God's definition of joy in scripture is not what flows to you, but who flows from you. Why? Because we're finicky people. (laughs) We're finicky people who pursue joy at whatever cost in so many things. There's a word for this in our world. It's called a hedonist, a hedonist. A hedonist, by definition, is a person who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. And this is what we're born into mentality, that the the, the grand pursuit of my life, the grand pursuit of my life is my pleasure. That's why we chase it. It was what happened with Eve in the garden. It's why her eyes saw the fruit and she gave way to it, because it was pleasurable to her eyes. It's what came in in that sin. And so what we see from Scripture is that everything that we do, what we chase, what we're after, our bend, our tendency, our flesh, is that we're just simply chasing things that are going to bring me pleasure so that somehow I can try to fill my life with joy. That's why we're here. We can do it in good ways, too. There are many in this room who you come to church so that that pastor better preach a good message that somehow fills my heart. And that worship band better sing my favorite songs. And if they do those two things, I'm going to leave with joy. And if they don't, I may church shop, right? And so we turn church into fill me with joy or I'll find somebody else that will. Rather than coming together with a group of believers saying, I found joy. His name is Jesus. So whatever's read from the word and whatever song is glorifying his name, I can find joy in that. world's way of joy. There is a difference between a, a, a world's way of joy and a biblical world's way of joy. Um, what I want to show you is that there's a distinguishable joy that you'll see in the Bible, and it's always an attitude that God's people have that's built on his promises and love and never their circumstances, never their situations. God's people, biblical joy in the Bible is always an attitude that is built upon his promises and never their circumstances. How do I know this? Because if you look at Israel's history in a snapshot from 400 years in captivity in Egypt, 400 years, they're crying out day and night for 400 years that their salvation and rescue would come. Why? Because it was prophesied about that they would not be in captivity forever, that God had a promise for them. So a generation after generation after generation for 400 years clung to a promise that they would be set free. Excuse me. They clung to this promise that they would be set free until it happened. And it says in the Bible that Moses led them to freedom through the desert in their hearts as they were leaving the desert. Is it said they rejoiced and they had joy in their hearts as they were leaving, they were in joyful procession and joyful song because they had seen what the Lord had done. You delivered, God, you delivered. You delivered on your promise. 
You delivered on your promise. Their joy as God's people in that moment was not determined by bad circumstances or their struggles. It was determined by their future destiny that God had promised. Under all this pressure, fast forward, they're going through kings and now they're under Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity and eventually Rome captivity. Under all of these different oppressions, here's what they believed. God's gonna deliver us again. He did it once through Moses. He's gonna deliver us again. Why? Because Isaiah the prophet told us in Isaiah 50 that, that there's going to be, God's gonna raise up a new deliverer like Moses. So of course they're looking for a physical deliverer that's gonna come and, 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 and Isaiah's prophesying about Jesus. And so what's happening here is that you read through the book of Isaiah and what you're finding is this, they're leaning in on the fact that Isaiah said a new deliverer is coming who's gonna bring an everlasting joy. Why is he gonna bring an everlasting joy? Because he's gonna set us free. So they were clinging to God's promises. This is what brought them joy. While they were being pressed, this is what brought them joy, is that they were clinging to the promises of God. This is what brought them joy when they were being thrown in lion's dens. This is what brought them joy, is that they were clinging to the promises of God. This is why the angel comes and declares something that the, that the history of Israel been hinging on in Luke 2, 8 that says, he will bring joy to all people. This is what they'd hung on and clung to. This is what they set their life around. This is what Jesus would commission his disciples to go and preach. Preach this, the king has arrived. I've arrived, the savior of the world has arrived. Go and preach this. And this is what marked the first church. In Acts 13, verse 52, it tells us how the first church was marked and it says this, and the disciples were filled with, somebody say joy. Joy and with the Holy Spirit. There were two distinguishing things that were marking that first church. I'm sure there's a lot of others. But one of them was the Holy Spirit filled their life and there was joy that exuded out of them because they knew who Jesus was. And they knew that his promise was that he was gonna return again someday and take them home. Church, something the Lord's been showing me a lot in this, just zoom in for just a minute. When, when you look at Israel's history and what they clung to is really it comes down to you and I believing what Jesus came to do. And Jesus came to defeat death, the final foe, amen? To overcome the grave, death itself, because the reality is if we're in here, when the angel said, do not fear, the greatest fear that you and I have today is death. That's what we fear. We're still clinging to death. We're still, we're, like our goal today isn't whether or not we're gonna go get bad Chinese food for lunch afterwards, amen? Our goal is, Lord, I don't wanna die today. I don't want my family to die today. And I don't want to die tomorrow. I don't want my family to die tomorrow. I still got a lot of living to do. And so what we're really doing is we're staring death in the face and we still have a fear about what death holds over us. So Jesus comes, defeats death, overcomes the grave, and then the only kind of understandable thing that should flow from our hearts is joy. What else do we have to face? What else is looking and staring down at us but death, which Jesus overcame? Amen, church. The reality that death is the final foe and the reality that Jesus defeated death brings about joy in our life. And this is why we read, we, we have that famous uh, scripture we love to quote in, in Nehemiah 8.10 that we say all the time, the joy of the Lord is my, right? Somebody's down, you say, well, brother, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
We don't always know the context of where that comes from. Nehemiah and, and a bunch of people just rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and they did it quickly. I mean, it couldn't have been by man. They did it because of, of God's provision and God's strength over their life. So they're, they're gathered together a people, and Ezra gets the book of the law, the book of the Lord out, and Ezra begins to read the book of the law, the book of the Lord to the people, and they begin to weep because they realize how far they've drifted from the Lord. Lord, you have been so faithful. Look how far we've drifted. You allowed us to build the walls and yet we've rejected you. You've allowed us to do amazing things and yet we've pushed you out. And this is why we're in captivity. And they're weeping and they're crying. And all of a sudden Ezra's like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. No, no, no. This is a day of celebration for who the Lord is, not our circumstances. This is a celebration today for what the Lord has done, not because we earned it or deserved it, but because he's always faithful to his promises. Amen, church. The same God who can stop time and make the sun stand still, he's the God who's for you. This is Ezra proclaiming to them, this is the God. So he stops and he says in, in Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't need to grieve. You have the joy of the Lord. Not your circumstances, not your possessions. Not that you're out of captivity. You have the joy of the Lord, who's your strength. Anybody ever feel like your strength is waning? Like your strength is failing? You struggle with doubt? Am I gonna make it through this day, let alone all the days in the future? This right here is the key. You're not looking for the next day to fill you. You're not looking for the next moment to somehow fill your heart. You're not looking for the next experience to somehow bring you the goosebumps. Looking to Jesus, who's the author of the next day. Jesus, who's gonna write your next day. Jesus, who's gonna be in your next day. You're looking to him, and, and here's the thing. This is why the enemy attacks your joy care less if you're a bunch of happy-filled people. If you're a bunch of happy, joy-filled people pursuing the present, he's going to say, you ain't worth my time. But if you're a bunch of joy-filled people pursuing the presence of Jesus, he's coming. Because he does not want you to be filled with this kind of joy. He wants you to be filled with the kind of joy that will always run out and empty itself out. He's fine with you running to that joy because when you run to that kind of joy, you're weak and you're vulnerable. But when you find the joy of the Lord is your strength, you no longer fear death because you know who's the author of your life. And you no longer fear the grave because you know who overcame the grave. You no longer fear tomorrow because you know the Lord has numbered your days and not the enemy. Amen? When you start to live in that kind of joy, you're dangerous to the enemy. You and I are here on planet Earth for a reason. We're here on planet Earth because we have an assignment. And once we're done with our assignment, we're going home to a better place anyways. And that's not so that we can try to escape how bad this world is. That's just simply because our Father longs to be with us and we long to be with Him. I feel like this is the message that Jesus is trying to convey in the last hours to the disciples. I told you I've been in this upper room uh, John 14, 15, 16, 17. I've been studying that, with teaching that Jesus is giving. That I love these last moments, these last kind of moments of, of teaching that Jesus is giving the disciples. And he says something in John 16 that we talked about last week. I want to kind of go through that again. In verse 12, he says something. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the what? What are you gonna tell you about? Somebody say future. Maybe it's up there, all right. He will tell you about the future. He will tell you about the future. The Holy Spirit is gonna remind you of the promises of God that are for you. The Holy Spirit is gonna remind you that the promises of God are that you and I get to go and be at home with him someday. The Holy Spirit is gonna continue to impress upon your heart that this is not your final destination, that you have an assignment here, and when your assignment is done, the longing of your heart is that same longing that Paul had to live as Christ, to die as gain. If we could know what our future holds, we'd have a lot less anxiety, we'd have a lot less stress. If we could see a glimpse into our future, you and I, man, we would have a lot more joy in our life, most likely, right? We'd be like, I, I know, I'm not worried, I'm not anxious, I'm not whatever. And so it's what we do. So many people, they run. They run to their horoscopes or they run to that fortune cookie. Please speak some good word over me. I just want to fortune cookie's not helping you. We don't need a horoscope when we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind you of the future that you have in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus gets into his like kind of weird <laughs> verbiage here. In a little while, you won't see me anymore, but in a little while after that, you will see me again. What'd you say, Jesus? I'll say it again. I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to, to me. The world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will, somebody say suddenly. <laughs> suddenly. It's quick. Your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When the child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she, was brought, she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can take that joy. What Jesus is telling them, and a little while you're not sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Church, here's what Jesus is telling them. In a little while, you're not going to see me. He's setting them up for what's getting ready to happen. You're going to find me arrested in the garden. You're going to find me on trial. You're going to find me pr uh, prosecuted. You're going to find me beaten. You're going to find me on a cross. Then you're going to find me in a tomb. You're not going to see me in a little while. Oh, but in a little while later, you're going to see me. <laughs> what happened after three days? The tomb rolls back. The tomb of the entrance rolls back. The stone rolls back, and Jesus comes out, and he has risen and he said and suddenly that grief has turned to joy it's not a process like yeah we're just not sure about you lord like we saw you a second they're like we saw you die now you're alive everything has changed there's not anything now that's left undone there's nothing right now that's bigger than this moment nothing is left undone that grief will suddenly turn to joy and everything that we staked our life on comes true in that moment, nothing's too difficult for them. In that moment, nothing seems too painful anymore to the disciples. They're all going to die horrible deaths except for one. In that moment, nothing seems too important anymore to turn back and go home to. In that moment, everything in their life is forever changed because the inexpressible joy that the angels declared to them it will be joy for all people comes over them and everything changes in their life. The man that they believed in is truly the king.
King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior of the world. Oh, I wish we had more time. Jesus says this in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've always thought, man, that's such a peculiar scripture verse, for the joy set before him. This is the Jesus that was in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, crying out to his Father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. The same Jesus that was in such intense prayer in that moment, it was like sweats of droplets of blood were coming out because he was in such intense prayer to his Father. And now all of a sudden we read, for it was the joy that was set before him. What joy, what joy, the joy that Jesus knew. When, when, not if, when I defeat the grave. And when you see me on that third day risen from the grave, the joy that's set before me is you'll know I am king over everything and there is nothing, no rival, no nothing that stands in my way and you are my inheritance. You want to know the joy that was set before him that you and I would know that we are his. The joy that's set before him that you and I would know that we are his. Church, this to me is the pinnacle moment for us as believers that we're his and it changes everything in our life. It's why you can read the hall of fame in a faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and it says they were tortured and beheaded and it says all of these things. Then it says in verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. Because they longed for a different home. It says they could have went back to their own homeland. They could have went back and they could have found their treasures. They could have went back and they could have found their pleasures. They could have went back and established themselves and had a good long life. But it says they looked forward to a homeland that was coming with Christ in heaven. This is what he labored for. This is why verse 21 says it's a woman it's like a woman suffering the pains of labor. Not fun. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy. When a child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. And no one, somebody say no one, can rob you of that joy. No one can take it from you. I always hesitate to talk about labor and giving birth in a room full of women. Just want you, I, knew, I say that all the time. So I just want to walk delicately. I'll side note, I'll tell you why. Pastor friend of mine, years ago, this whole labor thing came up and he goes, yeah, isn't it labor a lot like kidney stones? And I was like, oh dear Lord. I think I told you this, this gal was like, it's like dropping a grenade in your pants and letting it blow up. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. I don't know what that means. I was in the room, there's a lot of hand squeezing, why did you do this to me? But I don't know about a grenade. But I know what happened in that room. New life. I know what happened when I gave my life to Jesus. It was new life and new freedom. Joy will be, I wanna say this, joy will be, that's what he says. You will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Where do we get? Where do we, how do we get there? What does that look like? What is, we have to have a mindset, church. And this is, I want to walk gently on this because I want to explain what I mean by this. We have to have a mindset that we have to stop living for this present age and we have to start living for the age to come. We've been ingrained in this present age. 
We just, we just have. We established, um, uh, this is what I want, this is what I'm giving myself over to. You, you, just, you don't find that really in, in Scripture. you got a bunch of men and women radically saved. Joy of the Lord fills our life. They're on assignment for the kingdom of God, whatever that may be. They're on assignment. I don't care if that's like, hey, he called me to be a businessman, businesswoman, make lots of money, and, and bless other people. I, whatever that assignment, he's got you on an assignment, but your eyes are fixed on the age to come and not this age. Let me tell you why that's so important. Because if our eyes are only fixed on this present age, then we will search for joy in this present age. But if our eyes are fixed on the age to come, Jesus literally tells him, he's like, I'm gonna go away and I'm preparing many rooms in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm preparing a room for you. I'm longing to come back and get you and take you home to my father's house. All of the language of scripture, especially in the New Testament, is this longing for Jesus to take us home. Our eyes, Paul writes all the time, we're looking and we're longing for the return of the king. Like, we're, we're not fixed on this present age. We're not trying to get out and escape it. We're going to fulfill our covenant and our commitment now. But our eyes are fixed on the age to come. Now, here's why this is important. Because Satan's called the God of this age. He says, the God of this age is going to try to connect you to this age. Because if the God of this age can connect you to this age, meaning that you're vying to put your attention into this age, if that's where you're at, then you're gonna find your pursuits for joy and fullness are gonna be found trying to pursue this age. And you know what? It's a broken cistern, it's empty and it's leaking and you'll never be fulfilled, amen? So we have to have this heavenly mindset that we're set on what's coming. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see with an inexpressible, you believe in him, listen to this, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I read that and I had double take. You're going to receive him and believe him, not seeing him, but you're gonna believe him. You're gonna be filled with joy. And when you're filled with joy, look what he says it is. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, so when I come into Christ and my eyes are set on him, the joy that I'm receiving in him is the promise that this life is not done for me. When this is over and I take my last breath in the flesh, I've got an eternity ahead of me in front of him, with him, beside him, in him, through him. And that brings joy. And what that does in my life is it causes me to lose the taste of everything else in the world. So I was sharing this in the first two services. I'm struggling, I struggle with that. Like there's still things in my life where I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna pursue that, I'm gonna chase that. If I just had that, I'd have pleasure. If I'm still trying to pursue the things of this life and trying to find joy in those things, because all those things are good and I wanna do those things. I wanna take my family here and I wanna go there and I wanna take my wife out here and I wanna get this. And I, wanna, I do want those things. Joy is the big secret of the Christian life. Ann Voskamp said something about this. I thought this was really peculiar, but joy is the secret of the Christian life. And she says, do you know what the difference between believers and demons are? <laughs> like, where is, this is going weird. What, what are we doing here? She says this, demons know that Jesus died on the cross. Demons know the creeds. Demons know the scriptures. 
And yet scripture says this, demons believe in God and shudder with fear. And so she says the difference is the demons hear about Jesus and wanna flee for fear. Believers hear about Jesus and run in inexpressible joy. It's a part of who we are. If you feel like your joy is being hindered, the opposite of joy is not unhappiness, the opposite of joy is struggling with unbelief. This is what happens, the Israelites in their history, remember, get set free, 400 years of captivity, walk through a wilderness for a few weeks, see God move in powerful, tremendous ways, get to the edge of the promised land and they don't believe that they can take the land. It simply had unbelief. So because of that, they lost their joy of the Lord. They're like, you can't do it. You did all these things. And so they started to struggle with unbelief and it led to many of their downfall. What if the greatest enemy to your joy, to my joy, isn't on the outside, but on the inside? What if the greatest enemy to my joy isn't that somebody's trying to steal my fun? The greatest enemy to my joy isn't because I didn't get this or that. I wasn't able to purchase this or that. I didn't get that raise. I didn't get that, that extra commission. My, my, my greatest joy isn't that my spouse doesn't like me or my kids are what unruly. What if, what if the greatest enemy to our joy is on the inside and it's a trust issue and believe in God to the fullest? Anybody ever experienced walking through a desert before? You've walked through deserts, you've walked through wildernesses. I heard this said, and let me give you a, a, a reason that we do this. God in his love will lead people into the desert, into a dry season to sometimes get us on our knees and our face to get us back to the thing that we need the most, and that's him. And then I heard this quote that says, few things destroy idols like the desert. But let's make sure we're not in the desert by our own choosing. The Lord will lead us there to set us back on the right path. My fear is many of us decide to run there on our own. Lord, I know that you're my joy, but I'm gonna run there with this thing and this idol, and I'm gonna run there and chase it because this is gonna bring me pleasure. And so we find ourselves in this desert constantly of our own choosing because somehow we think that this is better. And yet, Psalm 16 says, make known to me the path of life you will fill me with the joy of your presence you will fill me with the joy of your presence in his presence is fullness of joy my joy I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete I'll close out with that. Here's what I want to say. That my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. And if you are struggling with the joy of the Lord in this season, if you're struggling with the joy of the Lord in any season, I would contend that this might be a time where you're in that dry season or that desert because the Lord is trying to bring you back to his face again. I would contend that if you find that, you will find an inexpressible joy according to his word, and God never negates his word. But be careful that you're not running there by your own choosing because you're trying to find pleasure and joys in the rest of the things of the world that are just broken, empty cisterns. Not bad things, 
just empty cisterns. You're trying to find joy, and they're just leaking. Ah, I'm never fulfilled. I'm never fulfilled. I'm never fulfilled. And Jesus says, when my joy is in you, your joy will be complete. Somebody say complete. God's moving, church. We're on a transition to get our eyes set on him. Where the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We sing that hymn all the time in church. We're, we're coming to this place. So I'm asking today, I'm going to pray over you. Will you trade the world's way of joy, the world's system of joy? Will you trade that in for God's way of joy? And that's Jesus. Will you trade in that unbelief and that doubt for faith and belief without sin? Because God never negates his promises. Pray with me. Father, thank you in your name that your word is truth and you are truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you remind us about our future and our future is secure in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for the one who's struggling with joy today, that Father, first and foremost, they would trade their trust issues in, their doubts in, and they would believe you, they would trust you, and know that even though they may not see it, even though they may not see it, they believe it because you're true to your word and you've proven that over and over and over again and you'll continue to do it. So God, we're asking today because pleasures have come our way, not because we got this or we got that or somebody liked us on Facebook. God, I pray that the church would rise up again and enjoy because we're centered on you again. And it makes our joy complete. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.